You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some pixie dust around. Grab your web shooters and web sling your way to the second star to the right. Because, you know, we can go in unique ways to Neverland when we have to. But it's good to have a a happy thought because, you know, you run out of web fluid. Otherwise, you know. Uh, But anyways, I'm your head Lost Boy Jeremy, also called the Spider Pan. And, of course, with me again, Lost Boy Eric is back. Hey, 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 I am feeling spectacular and amazing this week. Indeed, I tell you, we are just swinging here this week as there is a lot of fun news to talk about. Also, the new Spider-Man PlayStation 4 game came out on Friday. I have had a chance to finally sit down and play it, so we'll be able to talk about that. Also, W.R. Miller, also known as Bob Miller, we have the second half of our conversation with him. And he even just, I just saw it on Facebook, that second book about animation that he was talking about. It's out. Yeah, just of came still, out this week. <laughs> yeah, we're still talking about that Star Wars historical source book, though, this week. But uh, do I need to get him back on even for next week so we can talk this other book? Because I want to talk about this other book, too. But uh, I guess we'll, you know, try to mix it up and have something else next week. Uh, in fact, I don't know, maybe Toon Fest in Marceline, Missouri next week because it's 250 episodes and it's Toon Fest. Hey, and- let's remind everybody why Marceline's so important. Because it's too fast. Oh, no, wait. Uh, (laughs) That is Walt Disney's boyhood home. The farm is there. There's a great museum there. The original Main Street USA is right there in town. You see the theater where the Great Train Robbery was premiered. I mean, ah, it's... ah, If if you don't know anything about Marceline, then you must be new to Disney fandom, okay? (laughs) And we welcome you. Come come to the Disney side, because we actually do have cookies, because the, the dark side will not actually give you cookies, because they're probably poisoned if they do, and they're probably an apple because there's an evil witch queen, you know, that she can... Yeah. That probably no, happens no, in I, Disney fandom, I, too. Actually, I think it, the dark side does have cookies, they just have raisins in them. I, I actually don't mind raisins. If it's own in an oatmeal cookie, if you put your raisins in a snickerdoodle, though, you're in trouble. Yes, definitely in trouble. Although, I think I've had, like, some oatmeal before that had, like, raisins and cinnamon in it. But, of course, that still would be an oatmeal cookie. So, cinnamon and raisin goes together, but don't put them in my snickerdoodles or my chocolate <laughs> chips. And don't don't disguise your raisins to look like chocolate chips or put, like, raisinettes in my cookies. You will be in so much trouble. That is truly the dark side. And, and, and we're, we're fully embracing the dork side, but not the dark side. You people are bad. <laughs> bad dark siders. 
Raisins lead to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate uh, something, something. The hate leads to vomiting out disgusting cookies, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, speaking of Star Wars, though, uh, Wookiee Radio, which yes. is also part of the Weeby Geeks Network, uh, I am on there again this week to talk about a lot of different bits of Star Wars news, including actually some things we're going to talk about this week, which um, I guess we want to dive into. But uh, is there anything interesting that you've been doing? I mean, you've uh, you had a, a trip to Orlando here recently where you went to visit Cape Canaveral. I don't think we've heard anything about it. Yeah, um, and not much really to report on that. Just uh, we wanted a, a weekend to get away, so figured, you know what, we're getting to know Orlando a little bit better. Let's head on back out there. We uh, did drive on out to Cape Canaveral. We got to see the uh, uh, the big, uh, I, it's not a storage building, but, you know, the, the large NASA building out there. Um, but uh, we, we actually went out all the way out to uh, Cocoa Beach and got to watch the sunrise come up over the Atlantic Ocean, which was absolutely spectacular. Uh, one of the other little highlights of that trip, uh, the Disney Fantasy was in port. So we got to drive around and get a, a good look at the ship and, uh, you know, eyeballing it from the car as we drove past. <laughs> and it, it's a pretty nice sized ship, I'll tell you. Uh, but, did, uh, did you no, happen to see if Elon Musk was out there looking to buy that uh, storage shelter there from uh, NASA? Uh, I'm a, I, I cannot confirm <laughs> nor deny that. He might have been trying uh, to attach a car to one of their rockets, you know, put another one up in, it, in orbit. <laughs> it, it's possible, but, you know, from what I hear, he's been in orbit in other ways lately, too. But I'm not uh, going to get into that. <laughs> yes, but, that uh, video has gone quite viral now. My goodness. Yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, no, we, he'll uh, be hanging around with Snoop Dogg next. <laughs> but, you know, we, we just spent the rest of the day hanging around Orlando. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, we've uh, gotten to... You know, know the area fairly well, and uh, you know we found a, a great place to shop and get a lot of uh, really cheap uh, di official Disney merchandise from the Character Warehouse store at the Premium Outlets uh, there in Orlando. But mm -hmm. uh, no, it's uh, it's 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 just uh, you know we're we're getting more and more familiar with the area because uh, we're thinking uh, you know maybe our future is there in Orlando. We don't know yet. We. Uh, <laughs> Thinking yep. about moving, are you? Well, I don't know about moving, but at least uh, spending a bit more time there than we have yeah. in the past. It's kind of the way I get when I visit Marceline. None, so. yeah. I visit <laughs> exactly, Marceline and exactly. sometimes I, I start telling visit. Heather, like, yeah, like maybe I'd want to live here. Except for I don't know that I would uh, find a whole enough work for what I want to do in Marceline. Small mm -hmm. market, though, would be a good start for me if I started working at that radio station. They have, like, a country station up in Marceline. I could work mm -hmm. there and then work my way to a bigger city, but then again, I'd get so comfortable in Marceline that, like, do I really have to leave here? So, I don't know. <laughs> I'm used to a bigger city, so. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I grew up in a small market. I worked in the small market television station for a while. Uh, it is a great place, you know, as far as media goes to, you know, get your uh, feet wet, to learn the industry, to be on the ground actively uh, doing everything outside of a classroom experience. So, you know, small markets, uh, that's where you start. That's where you begin. And that's where you get the experience that you need to go further. Yep. Oh, and uh, I want to remind everything, everybody of one thing. So we're talking about this uh, Star Wars history source book again yes. this week, which means you have still one more week. We're going to give this away on episode 250. Holy cow, 250 episodes, and we'll be at Toon Fest. But we're going to give away this book next week. 
Now, if you want to enter to enter this, I want to get an email from you. Send an email, podcast at neverlandpodcast.com. The content of this email, I want you to take a screenshot of you, you know, posting a review to iTunes. Also, share the episode with the hashtag Neverland Giveaway and go ahead and put at Neverland Podcast and then I'll even see it on Twitter. You know, because you can retweet where I've posted the episode up or you can create your own tweets with the episode. If you do both of those, that's two entries. In fact, if you've posted up last week's episode and this week's episode, three entries that you could possibly have. So you get yourself a really good chance, and then I'm going to, at random, I'm probably going to find a 20-sided dice on here and just roll it, and I will announce a winner next week on who's going to get a copy of this book, the first volume in a 10-volume set. So make sure you get that done. And I got to tell you, it is a great book. I got my copy this last week. I've been thumbing through it. There are a lot of good stories in there. So, you know, this this is definitely something you're going to want to add to your collection. Oh, indeed. I might cheat and put my own name into the hat, but that's not right. (laughs) I'd like to win it. I'm just going to have to buy a copy myself. Of course, uh, my wallet already took a hit with buying that Spider-Man game. (laughs) Ooh, yes, yes. Yes, indeed. uh, But that's definitely big news this week as well. Oh, yes, which I guess we better just dive into some of it. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Well, you know, it's always fun to start our news with bad news. Because Bugs Land, although this is good news in some ways, but it's kind of sad. Bugs Land is officially closed. And we did hear from Waylon on our Facebook page. And he said they should bring back Critter Country because of Bugs Life 2 now. Now, uh, it would be interesting to bring back Critter Country, but isn't that just renaming Bear Country? I don't know how that works. I'm not sure what he's meaning to have back. And I don't understand what he means by because of Bugs Life 2. I have not heard anything of Bugs Life 2. Have you? I uh, know I have not. Um, in fact, uh, you know there is Critter Country right now at Disneyland, so maybe it's thinking to bring him back uh, Bear Country, which is what it used to be known as. That's what I think what he was getting at. Uh, he doesn't use a lot of punctuation in his posts whenever he comments, so sometimes I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about. But we appreciate you coming and sharing your thoughts. I think he shared some thoughts on a couple other things this week as well. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, the interesting thing is. Even though Bugs Life is or Bugs Land isn't going to be around, there's actually some nonprofits that are going to get some of the the pieces of it. Disney's planning to to donate to uh, like the Friends of the Santa Ana Zoo, and they're going to get Heimlich's Choo Choo Train, uh, including all the animal crackers that's uh, like the bears, elephants, gorillas, lions, rhinos, sheep, all that stuff. Uh, the Pretend City Children's Museum is going to receive some items from the Candy Valley, which is also around Heimlich's Choo Choo Train. Mm-hmm. Uh, Community Action Partnership of Orange County was going to get some benches and the Entry Windmill. And the Anaheim Arts Council is going to get some items from Tuck and Roll's Drive and Buggy, such as the Cotton Swab, Crayons, and Mirrors. So they're not actually getting the rides. They're just getting items. But mm-hmm. they are, at least at the zoo, giving them the, the cookie box animal crackers things. Now, personally, I would think it would be fun. At, at a zoo, 
you probably could set up Heimlich's choo-choo train in some fashion, but that also then requires a lot of maintenance. And if you're a, a, a nonprofit, uh, maybe it's you know becomes an expense. But if Friends of the Santa Ana Zoo works kind of like the the Friends of the Zoo I have here in Kansas City, it's basically a membership that I pay for, and it's it's almost like having a, a, a annual pass to the zoo here. So I don't know exactly what that is, and if you know if, how connected to the zoo that is, but that would actually be kind of neat if they were able to put the the choo choo inside of the zoo somehow or another for a little fun ride. Well, but, and that would make the second Disney attraction to have been rebuilt outside of a park. Exactly. And there is still a drive, uh, as far as I know, up in Marceline to rebuild the uh, Midget Autopia, although it's it's going to be more of a walking course, not necessarily the ride itself coming back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's it's gone, and they, Disney's even shut down its stuff to be a bug back in March. Uh, Flix Fair uh, with Highland Choo Choo Train, Flix Flyers, Tux and Roll, everything else is officially shuttered and Marvel is moving in and I've oh, seen yes. some photos <laughs> they have a nice wall up there that says Stark Industries mm-hmm. mm. complete with the logo from the movies for Stark Industries yes so exciting things at least are coming uh, but speaking of things kind of leaving uh, Raleigh Crump had a couple of things to say Oh, he he's he had more than a couple of things to say. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, Raleigh's always been uh, very open and very vocal about oh, how indeed. he feels about things. In fact, he's got several books out called "It's Kind of a Fun Story," you know, Volume One, Two, Three, on and on and on, talking about the work that he's done, you know, as an Imagineer that he's done at Disney, and you know, he's really got a very impressive resume behind him. You know, he designed the Small World facade that stands outside of uh, Disneyland's Small World Ride. He created the Tower of the Four Winds, which stood outside of the ride at the World's Fair. Uh, he designed the Museum of the Weird. You know, he, he's a very creative individual. He's got a very unique uh, perspective um, and a very distinctive art style, to say the least. Uh, and this article, um, it says that uh, he really does not visit the park set anymore. Uh, yeah. he, part, part of the reason for that is that uh, he, he sees that a lot of the uh, changes that have taken place within the parks. Uh, you can't point and say that's so-and-so's right. You know, you can point to it's a small world and you could say, you know what, that was designed by Mary Blair. You can point to uh, the Tiki Room and say that was designed by Rolly Crump. Uh, but with the uh, attractions that have come out within the past several years, um, that it doesn't have that uh, personal touch that you can attribute to uh, a single mind coming up with the uh, concept and following it all the way through the design stage to construction. Yeah, even some of the last things that Walt had a hand in have been altered. Mm-hmm. They certainly have. Mm-hmm. You know, thank goodness, though, that uh, the Tiki Garden, which Molly created, is still a very active part of the Tiki Room there at Disneyland in California. Um, you know, as the show's beginning, you get uh, a brief update on the Dole Plantation since they're the sponsor, and then it turns over to watching all of the tiki's within the garden there come to life and talk about who they are and what they do. Yeah, it's very, very cool stuff. And 
apparently, though, he, I, I don't know if it was out of frustration, but he decided to auction off a lot of his own personal items that he had. Mm-hmm. From I think some of his own designs, even. Yeah. Uh, so that wow, that's kind of surprising. And it, you know, he he talks about how it was really rough to let go of it, but yet he I don't know he just felt like he needed to get rid of it because he just he's like he's like cutting his ties with Disney because he's just, I guess just frustrated with all the changes that have happened and it lacking the personal touch. And I wonder if part of that is that it's it's lost the touch of the original people, the people that were his friends and his coworkers that worked on the park. It's losing some of that originality, and now we've got these new people coming in, and he's not maybe familiar with the individual styles of some of the new people. Uh, so I, I, I can't say for sure that any particular attraction is whether or not it shows the style of anybody who's there now. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know I, I don't hear as many names associated with these attractions like we, you'd hear like, oh, Tony Baxter came up with this one and and oh, this, here's something, you know, Terry Harden did this, you know, and I don't hear that anymore, except well, for maybe Joe Rody. Joe Rody and Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom and, yeah. uh, you know, and he was even, yeah, um, that that really Joe Rody is about the the best known Imagineer that's out there right now, I think. Yeah, because still working. Mm-hmm. Like, still I don't working know when to quit. <laughs> and I hope he doesn't figure out when to quit. Uh, so I can I kind of see what he's talking about because it seems like you know the the Imagineers used to be like these legends and stuff, and I don't I don't know that we know who they are and and what they're working on. Uh, it would be nice to maybe if maybe on the Disney Parks blog if there's like a project and somebody spearheading a particular Imagineer that we get to hear from them because I mean, we do get some videos on YouTube when they're working on a project they'll kind of show for a couple minutes like oh this is Imagineer and he's there with a hard hat as they're building stuff over in Toy Story Land and, mm-hmm. and that's cool oh yeah but, but yeah it doesn't feel like it has that some sort of signature style most of it now is you know a, a, a Disney owned property is what's being built Mm-hmm. You well, know, they're, and, they're and not coming up with original ideas so much anymore. Yeah, yeah, and, there, and there's a certain amount of um, you know sticking with you know what the corporate vision of it is and adhering to you know the the intellectual property that you know they're developing it around. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how that how things progress in through the years and how the Disney parks are going to change because Walt did say they were going to change. Yep. Yep. But as long I don't as know if imagination. Meant, I don't know if he meant it to become where it's like the entire park is almost becoming uh, intellectual property more than it is original ideas. Mm-hmm. I, well, I do I do worry about that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, for it used to be that for every Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which was based on a Disney movie, you would get a Haunted Mansion, yeah. which up until a decade and a half ago <laughs> didn't have any movie correlation to it. So, you know, it. it you know where everything we've gotten over the past decade has had some sort of tie to, you know, a film property. Um, yeah, and even the original rides, they get a film property tied to it. And next thing you know, the film starts popping up in the ride. Mm-hmm. Haunted Mansion is the only one that hasn't had that effect because the the movie wasn't as well received as they wanted. But I wonder when Guillermo del Toro comes out and creates his film, if something if. he does is going to get put into the ride. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Country Bear Jamboree was kept pretty safe. Uh, at least in Florida, <laughs> from from that yeah. movie. Oh, poo. You know, uh, unfortunately, uh, Country Bear Jamboree in California closed the same weekend that that movie came out. So, yeah. 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 Well, that movie isn't great. It's kind of fun, though. I've watched it once. And, hey, it's got our good friend Paul Berry in there, too. 
yep, I spotted him. <laughs> I was like, look, there's Paul. So, yeah. oh, but you know what? Something There's something cool going on in Disneyland now. Oh, yes. Disney's California Adventure. It's officially Halloween time, and it officially began on Friday, and it's going to run through October 31st, and Cars Land is decked out once again, and all the Cars characters have car have costumes mm-hmm. uh, so i would if, if i could get over there i'd love to go and check it out because i mean I, right now there's images i'm getting to see you know mater is in his vampire costume and it's really funny to see his uh well buck teeth i guess or beaver teeth almost with fangs next to them <laughs> well, i you know, love it you know it's not halloween in Cars it's Land. Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one of the great things uh, about that is, uh, you know, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree has their, you know, seasonal songs that come out. You know, One Eyed yes. One Horn Flying, uh, oh, I, I forget what it was called, but, you know. It's a car of some sort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Halloween themed songs specifically for, uh, for, for, the, for that ride. Have they ever released those on any sort of a soundtrack? Not that I'm aware of. I bet we could track down somebody's probably snuck some out somewhere online. Not that I'm endorsing anyone do that, but I wouldn't mind if somebody did. Mm-hmm. Be nice <laughs> to get some surfers on the <laughs> Yeah. It would, it would be nice. We'd just like to hear it. But if Disney puts it out, we would buy it. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's what we do. Oh, yes. Well, you know that uh, Halloween's not just happening over at California Adventure. Disneyland also gets, you know, it's Halloween overlays this time of year as well. Yes, and uh, I, let's jump down to the to well, we're coming back into this Jack Jack thing, but we got a look here on the Disney Parks blog at the gingerbread. Like I don't know if you, what you would call it. It's I guess I still got the haunted house, but it, yeah, the it, it's more than a house now. <laughs> it is it is wild and wicked and uh, spidery actually. If you have arachnophobia, you might not want to ride. Yes, but this is a tradition for anyone who doesn't know. The you know, we get a holiday overlay of the Nightmare Before Christmas inside the Haunted Mansion, and they always do something neat and original every year with the this gingerbread. Uh, it's kind of a castle mansion kind of thing looking here, but there's a gingerbread creation of some sort that's always on the table. Ninety pounds of gingerbread, thirty pounds of confectioner sugar, ten pounds of white chocolate, and forty-five pounds of fondant puts this thing together uh, and it takes 12 pastry chefs with uh, assistant pastry chef Christina Origel getting involved making this thing. I mean, this is an impressive thing every year. If you go to the Disney Parks blog, you're going to find a photo of this and it is it is creepy. It's it is massive. Cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it looks very, very tall. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, because you see the spider that's this giant, huge spider coming down. I wonder if it's actually got like a, a, some sort of line of candy that's supposed to be coming down for a web line or something. Oh, it could be. It could be. I mean, you know, this definitely um, is a very stylized version of the mansion, to say the yeah, least. Yeah, it is. And um, looking at some of these pictures, it's taller than some of the chefs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's I mean, huge. Holy cow. But, you know, what's really surprising me, is, or what really surprised me about it, um, it doesn't have a foundation, or it well, it does, but it's not connected. Scary, but I'm sure they know what they're doing. Oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> but still, it is very impressive. Um, you know, it's always a neat thing to see. You know, the great thing about as you're going through that part of the attraction, they pump in the smell of gingerbread as you're going oh, through. Yes. Uh, so I want to ride that. I've never oh, yeah. gotten to be on it. I want to go. Well, 
A couple of years ago, they had uh, uh, cookie cockroaches all around. It looks like uh, those cockroaches are going to be around again this year, but uh, it says that they're going to be... Uh, or actually not, yeah, they had cockroaches, but they've also had zombies, and the zombies are going to be wrapped up uh, in cocoons this year, waiting to become spider snacks. <laughs> well, if that makes you hungry, Disney Volunteers actually has made a jack-jack over the last six months of canned goods. And this is all going as a donation uh, and also some public awareness. Now, let's see. I, I forgot where they were putting it. Uh, let's see. Over the last 11 years, Disneyland Resort has provided the o Orange County Food Bank with more than 69,000 meals for the local community through Canstruction Orange County. So this is raising some awareness, not to mention you've got a lot of canned, co- canned goods here. But they've stacked these all together in various different colors using very specific stuff and made a little jack-jack, basically. Oh, I wouldn't say it's little. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) 8,900 ordinary canned goods. Mm -hmm. A 10-foot-tall Jack-Jack. Wow. (laughs) Along with some num-num cookies. Yes, and num-nums. His cookie num-nums. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and if you don't give him those cookie num-nums, he may just disappear before you get a chance to do it. But uh, if you want to vote for your favorite structure, because this is actually a competition, this can structure in Orange County, it's a dollar per vote, and all the proceeds are going to go to that food bank. So the canned goods, I guess, are not necessarily going to the food bank, but your donations you can get involved with, and it's at canstructionoc.org slash vote. So get on there. You can also find this link on the Disney Parks blog. Uh, I'm going to try to make sure I grab, and I'll try to put that into the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. You know, the great thing is you can also see this in person if you happen to be passing through the Orange County Airport uh, there in California. Uh, Not just this, but uh, the other... uh, entries are also on display there oh neat unfortunately i'm not seeing uh, an end date for it so i would say you know definitely if you're passing through it's down in the uh, luggage area and based upon my knowledge of the orange county uh, airport looks like it is on the uh, in the b terminal well if you get a chance to go and take some photos of that uh, cause i don't know how close to the airport you actually work working for an airline but if you can get some photos, that would be neat. Share them, share them with us. Yeah, if I have an opportunity. I, I, I'm afraid I can't guarantee that, uh, but if I have an opportunity, I definitely will. And, and if any of you listening, of course, get a chance to take a picture of it, you can share those with us as well on our Facebook fan page. Also, you can join our Facebook group and share with it uh, right there or tweet it at us. Share it. We want to see. That'd be neat. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you feeling a bit musical? Um... Well, I did have some beans for lunch. No, 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 not really. Not that kind of music. <laughs> yeah, that, that music really stinks. We want some good stuff. How about a little bit of, uh, I don't know, Danny Elfman music? Hey, that sounds good. How would you like to maybe hear him singing? You know, that would be even better. It's yeah, well, a dead man's party. Fast. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm guessing it's not that song, though. No, it's not that one. Well, you know, as long as it's a good nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully before Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Which, wow, this is the 25th anniversary of the film? I hadn't thought of that. Wow. You know, and, and I have to say, I saw Nightmare Before Christmas when it was originally in theaters. And no one else was in the theater with us. In fact, I went with our, our friend Adrian Rob, uh to see it. And it was an empty theater. No one else was there. Um it was years before I saw that Nightmare Before Christmas had actually become 
known and was a thing. And I'm so very glad it did. But, uh, you know, you bring this up, talking about music and Danny Elfman hearing him live. Of course, he not only conducted and uh, arranged uh, and created the music for The Nightmare Before Christmas, but he was also the singing voice for Jack Skellington. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, uh, Chris Sarandon was uh, the speaking voice. You know, he was uh, Prince Epperdink and The Princess Bride. Uh, but uh, no, Danny Elfman was the singing voice for Jack. And he is going to be performing at the Hollywood Bowl with a live orchestra uh, music from Nightmare Before Christmas. And what's cool is Catherine O'Hara, who played Sally, and Ken Page, who played Oogie Boogie, are going to be alongside <laughs> him. And they haven't announced the rest of the cast, so I don't know if anybody else is going to be there, but those mm. are the big ones. But, I mean, that's enough where I would go. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And you know, the thing is, is, this may have already sold out. If they started selling tickets, I mean, this the, the, every time they do something like this, it sells out really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a, they were talking about, you know, like, in 2015 it sold out, 2016 it sold out. Well, they, and they, they're, well, they want to do it as a tradition now. Mm-hmm. Well, they went on sale today, September 8th at 10 a.m. <laughs> and hopefully it didn't sell out already by the time you're hearing this. I uh, hope the, not. October 26th and 27th is the nights of these. So clear your calendar and buy some tickets if you're in the area or if you can get yourself into the area. Oh, mm-hmm. and, oh, and they're going to show the movie and perform the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> How cool. Oh, that, that's got to be wonderful. You know, one thing I do want to, to kind of, on a side note mention, I see here that the producer of this show is Richard Kraft. He's actually the fellow that had that big... Uh, Disneyland auction last week where he had all of his Disneyland uh, memorabilia on display for like a month and then it all went on auction last week. Oh, and that, I think that was part of what that Raleigh Crump thing was, was talking about. I think it was some of his work. A- actually, the Raleigh Crump thing was a uh, completely separate auction. It was a separate auction. Yep. Okay, it was, seems very similar. That's interesting. Yeah, very similar. But no, this uh, that auction was uh, Richard Kraft's uh, collection uh, and, and of course, I know we've chatted and talked about it last uh, over the past little bit. But uh, no, he, he this is his job as being a producer for Disney Theatrical, and that's you know how he was able to accumulate his Disneyland collection was uh, through his association with the company. But yeah, I just thought that was a nice little sidebar there. All right. Well, we got to press on because time yes. is moving on, and uh, while we're feeling musical. Uh, you know uh, that Insomniac company that, I don't know, released some sort of game this week with some sort of, like, superhero guy or something? Um, uh, the amazing... Bugman! That's who it was. D-Man. Yeah, D-Man. D-Man with the spider on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that that game came out, but the, the soundtrack is going to be available from Mondo T's on vinyl. Oh, Wow. You can also buy it digitally on iTunes, uh, but that's pretty exciting. I mean, yeah, this I mean, this game has become an event. I oh. mean, there was such buildup that even video game channels where they've maybe seen Spider-Man movies, but maybe they've never read a comic, they have been all over this, all over YouTube, especially this week. Everybody's been diving in because press kits came out this week. I really wish I'd have received one. Uh, and everybody's been going crazy, but one particular channel that I enjoy watching didn't even know who Carnage was when they tried to quiz each other and show oh, a picture wow. of Carnage. What is, they were like, was that Red Venom? What is that? Mm. So I'm like, ah, well, I, I, I'm glad you like Spider-Man, but read some of the comics. You might like it even more. Oh, learn I'm, who Carnage is. 
it makes me very sad that they're going to get most of their Venom knowledge from some oh, unfortunate really release later this year. <laughs> or from Spider-Man 3. <laughs> well, um, you know why you need to get vinyl, is- though, Jeremy. John Poisano, I wanted to make sure I, we say his name, hopefully I say it right, but he's the one who's done the music, and the vinyl has artwork by Craig Drake. Ooh, have no so, idea who that is. <laughs> well, I wanted to at least say who they are, even though if I don't know oh, who yeah. they are, because the, the artwork is really cool. Mm-hmm. I'll take your but word yeah, you for it. you had a detail on that? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I was saying, you know why you want to get vinyl, though, over digital? That way you have a physical copy? Well, yeah, you can have a physical copy. <laughs> the base is much better than digital. Well, see, that's what they always say, but uh, as somebody who's studying audio, I can tell you that's a lie. It's all personal preference. Digital actually does get a cleaner, clearer copy, and it's all in how you mix it. Vinyl does not actually make things sound any better. But there's a nostalgia. It's a cleaner. I, I'll agree that it's a cleaner sound, but I'm afraid we'll have to agree to disagree on the bass. Except for I have it's science on my bass. side, but but it's oh. it's all personal preference. <laughs> science backs me up. Well, we've actually studied this. I have audio engineered music before. I have experience. I have experience and science <laughs> on my side to say that actually there isn't much difference, but it's you have that nostalgia with vinyl when you're about our age, and so that makes it seem better, but really it's it's not much in a difference. You're just creating the song analog versus a digital. And in fact, the funny thing is this, this vinyl record was probably recorded digitally and then just pressed onto an analog device, so really you're still getting a digital recording on an analog device. Agree to disagree. <laughs> well, okay. Well, but you know, I I'm... still have science because <laughs> I had to study. Anyway, but moving on. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong article here. Oh, that's right, because I don't have an article at this point. This is just the game is out, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this thing, which y- you're getting eventually, just not yet. But uh, I-, I just want to give a few impressions. Uh, I- I've had a lot of people I've seen where they compare it to the Batman Arkham games as far as the quality and the combat. They It's very similar, they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know that I would say it's quite the same. I mean, the fighting style between Batman and Spider-Man is very different. The Spider-Man game encourages you to knock somebody up into the air and then go up and fight them there because you're not wearing any body armor. And so a few good hits and you're going down. Batman's wearing armor, and in fact, you can upgrade his armor in the Arkham games and you can get tougher. And when Batman, you know, senses he's about to get hit, he counters and strikes Batman will sense he's about to get hit. You hit a, a, a different button. I keep wanting to hit the, the counter button. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. But he will dodge. Although I have unlocked an ability, if I dodge at just the right time, he will jump back and here's web in your eye, which is kind of fun. Because <laughs> it does get whoever was, you know, even if somebody's about to fire the gun at you. And the cool thing is your spider sense will even show you the trajectory of the gun coming at you so you can dodge whichever way and, and get out of the way of it. But if you hit that dodge button at the right time, when he's dodging out of the way, even the guy with the gun, here's web in your eye, which I wish he would actually just say that phrase when he did it. But <laughs> you basically just have the thug going, oh, what is this stuff? Oh, you know. 
But and there's been a lot of great quips, and I, the combat it took me a while to get used to, which actually is similar to the Batman Arkham games. Because you, when you first play the Batman Arkham games, you want to go straight in and just let me combo this guy. Now let me run over and I'm going to combo this guy. When really the beauty of the Arkham games is that free flow, where I'm going to hit this guy, then point this direction, go hit that guy, and you're constantly in movement. And bam, this guy, bam, that guy, bam, that way. And next thing you know, you're running up combos. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Spider-Man game, I I'm slowly starting to find that they do have that ability in there, but I do find that usually I'm going to go ahead and kick somebody a couple of times, maybe knock them against the wall and quickly fire some web, and then I can just stick them to the wall and he's out of the fight. Because right. if you, you you actually have to trigger eat like web balls, you don't get like a straight web line. I mean, you do have a yank on a different button, but you have a certain amount of web balls you're allowed to fire in one go, and then they have to kind of regenerate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you if somebody's standing there and I just need to get him out of the way, I can maybe fire a couple quick web balls and try to stop a guy in a, with a gun or, or whatever that he's going to be a problematic while I'm trying to deal with these five other guys who want a piece of me. But that guy is eventually going to break out of that web. But if you got somebody who's close to the wall or if you knock somebody on the ground and you fire webs at them, you can stick them. And no matter if they still have some health, that's it. They're done. You can stick If you stick them to an item, they're out of the fight. But yeah, if you just try to whip them individually. That wears off. Or the rest of their life, because one of the other weird features of this game is you're finding backpacks that Spider-Man left when he was a kid. Because and 55 total backpacks in the game. They've mm. made a joke that he won a contest and won a bunch of backpacks already, and that's pretty funny. But so these backpacks have different little iconic items from the past Spider-Man past, where you'd recognize them from the comics, but it's also an alternate universe version of it. Mm. So all these different little artifacts that he's got in these backpacks that are still webbed and stuck to walls where he has previously been. So this webbing has been there for years and years. Oh, wow. So so we're getting rid of that whole dissolving in an hour thing, apparently. Mm. (laughs) Which I'm like, did they think about this? Because that means everywhere I have web sling around, I should still see strands hanging around because apparently it's going to stay there. Mm. Now, one thing you mentioned, uh, you'll see things from other universes. I understand that this is its own separate universe within Marvel's multiverse. Yes, so, you know, and this, in fact, this isn't the 616 universe that we know and love. Right. You're going to see this character pop up in an upcoming Marvel comic called Spider, Spider-Geddon or Spider-Mageddon. It's, I, it's mm-hmm. Armageddon with spiders. They're, they're, it's basically Spider-Verse Part 2. 2.0, and yeah. Two, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same villains coming back for another round, and so all the spiders of all the remaining universes have to come back and fight them. And, but this time, they're throwing in this Spider-Man from the game because cross-promotion sells more games. Well, speaking overall, of cross-promotion... I gotta yeah. say, it's definitely worth uh, buying. I've been having a lot of fun. It's it's a little frustrating, the learning curve sometimes with the combat and getting used to the web sling. I mean, a lot of those things that's featured in the game is stuff, if you've played all the other Spider-Man games, Web of Shadows or the 2, 3, or even the Amazing Spider-Man games, a lot of the mechanics are the same. It's just how you do them. It was a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I've had a little bit of learning cor- curve, but after I'm kind of getting my feel for it, I've been having a blast. So Stephanie, I recommend it. As a Spider-Man junkie, yes, you will have fun. Now, now, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the the suit system? Well, I can tell you Best Buy has really ruined a lot of people's day because we were supposed to have, when pre-ordered, we were supposed to get three unlocked suits, a code that was supposed to be on our receipt, or we were supposed to have received it by email when the game was released. A lot of people have not received that. Hmm. Now, you you had found something where maybe, you know, when you get to where you can unlock your suits, it would be there automatically, like there would be something encoded on the disc. No, I don't have those Hmm. suits. 
In fact, every suit, I have to earn a bunch of tokens and points to actually put the suit together. I can have it visibly saying that this suit is here, but I have to go and craft that suit. But the fun part is, once I have that suit, it comes with a set of powers, mm-hmm. or, or at least a major power, and maybe some other abilities. But I can choose any suit I want and grab those abilities and whatever powers and bonuses I get with that suit. So, because I'm kind of classic, I'm in the traditional Spidey suit, and yet I'm grabbing whatever extra abilities I want from all the other suits that I happen to unlock. And especially the the main power that I really love, because, all right, you remember the last Starfighter, you had a Death Blossom. Mm -hmm. So they call this the Web Blossom. And it has to charge up before you can use it, but you hit both of your sticks in, Spidey jumps and spins in the air and fires webs all over the place. And (laughs) believe me, if you get a crowd of thugs around you, you do that, you've pretty much webbed everybody to the ground. You've got everybody. It's. I thought it would be just, you know, you'd slow everybody down. Everybody would have some web on it. But no, it literally, it will stick everybody to the walls, the floors, and everywhere. And pretty much ends the fight, except for a few that managed to not get hit. But then there's, okay, there's one or two guys now. That's easy. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, at least I don't have those ten guys that were rushing me. Well, now, I've heard that there is one suit. It, it looks like an animated self-shaded suit um, <gasps> where it's power. It. And oh. you might want to look for this and see if you can track it down. It's power is quitting. Quitting? Quipping. Quipping. Oh, that what Whip, has extra no, quips? Like witty quipping. Yes, I that's weird, because I'm already he's making a lot of quips. So this game has made me laugh a few times, <laughs> I must say. With some of the quips have been really funny. Uh, one, one example is you, know, you leave a fight with a bunch of thugs, you got them all stuck to the walls and everything, and he says, Oh, I'm sorry, did I hurt you guys? Don't worry, the police will be here shortly to help you out. <laughs> I'm like, you tell him. But so quipping, so what? You can trigger a quip and it makes everybody just crack up laughing instead of trying to fight you or something? I, I honestly don't know. That's that's all that I read about it is that uh, he quips more once you have that equipped. I'll look for it. I'll have to try it out. <laughs> that's interesting. Especially if it looks like a, you know, I don't know if it would look more like the 90s series or maybe make it look like uh, a Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I actually, I think I, I didn't take that much of a close look at it. Uh, I was just kind of looking to see what all there was to unlock. Yes, I spoiled it. Um, now it, it seemed to me like it was more in the line of the '60s animated series. Oh, neat! <laughs> so it'll be interesting once you come across it. So the head's got webbing, and the rest of the body doesn't. <laughs> I think so. Okay, but we better press on because we're running out of time before we need to get to that interview. Uh, so. Tweet, tweet, Brad Bird. <laughs> oh, yes. We talked a little bit about, uh, you know, Jack-Jack in his uh, num-num cookies. But uh, Brad Bird sent out this message this week on Twitter. Many of you have suggested we show what transpired the night E babysat Jack-Jack. Well, we were way ahead of you. Auntie Edna, an all-new short directed by... Tw- uh, Incredibles 2 story supervisor Ted Mathot will be on Incredibles 2 in home release available on digital on October 23rd and Blu-ray November 6th. So that is going to be our other little special feature there is Auntie Edna detailing her uh, babysitting activities. Oh, and I kind of figured we'd get something like that. I I saw it coming when when, when we saw the afterwards. I was like, yeah, Edna had something similar to... uh, 
Oh, um, uh, Kari. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, but we're going to get to see that. So I'm like, okay, we'll get to see that eventually. <laughs> so here it comes. I just hope that we get a release that's Blu-ray, DVD, and digital, because that's what I prefer. Mm-hmm. But uh, lately, we're getting 4K Blu-ray and digital. Like, do they not realize? And I had this conversation on Wookie Radio, so if you want to go hear it, you go there. But, yeah, not everybody has bought a 4K. I don't think that many people have bought a 4K TV yet. Mm-hmm. So it's they're, they're, it's like they're trying to push us that way. Instead of it happening organically, like when The Matrix came out, suddenly everybody bought, everybody bought a DVD player because that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And it kind of happened organically. But, yeah, they, they're trying to push us towards 4K. And I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. My TVs still work good. If one of my TV breaks, I might think about it. Mm-hmm. Hey, I just bought my first flat screen uh, six months ago. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which actually I believe time. it's 4K. So, but I don't oh, have a well, 4K player. Of course, yeah. See, that's the other thing. You have to get a 4K <laughs> player, 4K TV, and then start buying a 4K disc. And it, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen all at once. Yeah, I've, I've I don't bought... really think I need to go that far. I'm pretty happy with the picture I have now. Well, I've already bought Star Wars five different times, so <laughs> not there. Red... You go. Yeah, I'm, I'm still wavering <clears throat> on getting digital copies of that, but uh, yeah. And have you bought any Burt Reynolds movies? Uh, sadly, I haven't. But, you know, let me tell you, uh, it seems like every weekend uh, my dad was watching uh, either Smokey and the Bandit 2 or Cannonball Run. Yeah, I, I think I saw Cannonball Run before I saw Smokey and the Bandit, and I barely remember Cannonball Run. Other, I think I wasn't Dom DeLuise in Cannonball Run. and Yeah, Dom DeLuise was in Cannonball Run 1 and 2. He was also in Smokey and the Bandit 2. He wasn't in... Uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit. He also yeah. was with uh, uh, Burt Reynolds in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yes, I love that movie. Uh, that's not a Disney film, but it's Don Bluth yeah. who used to work for Disney, and Don Bluth was a great animator, still is a great animator. So I don't know that Burt Reynolds ever did any work for Disney that I can think of. Not off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was something in there somewhere in his in his filmography. But in case y'all didn't know, he passed away at age 82 from apparently heart failure. So lived to a ripe old age and uh, became a Hollywood legend. But while we're honoring people in Hollywood, Kathleen Kennedy actually got an honor from the Academy. She's the first woman to get the Thalberg Award. Uh, Her and her husband both are both being honored because they work together in producing stuff like E.T. and Mm -hmm. uh, Edward Scissorhands and so many different movies. She's got a lot of history. However you feel about what she's doing with Lucasfilm now, you cannot deny she's got a lot of history for a lot of blockbuster movies working with Steven Spielberg. And so the Academy is honoring her. But uh, that's not the only interesting thing. Brian Henson apparently had a few things to say at Dragon Con. Yeah, he definitely did. Um, we've spoken about it in the past a bit, but uh, you know there is a prequel uh, in production right now uh, for a 10-episode series based on The Dark Crystal. Now, and what Brian Henson had to say, and I'm going by memory here because I've uh, somehow lost all of my notes. Uh, well, but he said I've got the actual quote here if you want me to read it. There you go. Yes, please. He says, it's been shooting since last November. It's so cool that Netflix could get behind it in such a big way that we can do it right. I say we, but I've been doing Happy Time Murder, so it's really my sisters, Lisa Henson and Hal Stafford's project. They've really put together a great, great time in London. And I'll be honest, I thought those days were gone. I thought by the 80s, the idea of being able to walk into a stage and see an incredible fantasy world realized was just long gone because of CG and everything like that. But they've really done it right. It's great. 
great. The workmanship is just stunning. The artistic quality is right there again. And I thought maybe it was lost. It's still there. They'll be shooting for another few weeks. And then there will be a huge amount of post-production. Then he looks over at the back of the room and says, don't say anything. Okay, well, we've said it's a prequel. And it's not an immediate prequel. So it doesn't end when the movie started. It takes place significantly earlier than when the movie took place. I'm was... guessing a fan in the back says, please don't say anything. Don't spoil anything. He was just freaking out like, Brian Henson is not going to spoil it for you, okay? I mean, right. come on. Well, hey, you know, you and I, we both know that Agra is uh, quite old, so I'm hoping she shows up in it. Oh, yes. I fully expect Agra, and I hope they get Frank Oz to come back and perform her because, you know, he wasn't the voice, mm-hmm. but you can't replace a Frank Oz performance oh, like no. that. So, and speaking of some other upcoming things, uh, I I felt like I got teased and disappointed. I did, too. I did, yes. too. Because Brie, what is her last name, anyway? I don't know. She tweeted out with Entertainment Weekly saying, let's break the internet tomorrow. And I, you know, people were saying, oh, no, a, a teaser, maybe a teaser for Captain Marvel. No such luck. Photo set. Yeah. But... We did get to see Ronan the Accuser, mm-hmm. because the Kree are the ones that gave her her powers. And also, we got a nice shot of the scrolls, which they look pretty cool. Yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm happy at least to see some photos and getting to see the night the costume. It looks very much like the modern comics, with mm-hmm. uh, some texture. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. <laughs> well, and, and what I found surprising is um, I didn't see Monica... But I did see someone with the last name of Rambo with the codename of Photon. Yeah, I did see that photo, but I'm not familiar with a lot of uh, the friends of Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. I haven't read a whole lot of, like, Ms. Marvel. Uh, I have a few issues of Ms. Marvel. The, the biggest thing I know about her was when Rogue stole her powers. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, I'm not as familiar with the character as maybe I should be. Well, Monica Rambo uh, was the first female Captain Marvel. Um, oh. She eventually took on the name Photon, um, but uh, she, yeah, she was a member of the Avengers for many years. Uh, she wore a uh, kind of a white outfit, and all, her powers were all light-based. Well, I would figure so, being you call yourself Photon, you better have some light powers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, you know, and we also know that they are going to have the original um, uh, Captain Marvel as yes. part of the storyline as well, played by, yes. um, oh, golly, <laughs> The Jude Law? I think so. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So this is, it's probably going to be a really good movie. I, I, I can i can almost gamble on it because it's an MCU movie and they have not failed me other than Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So, I think <laughs> for the most already, part. I think we will see one tragedy though. Uh, one of these pictures featured Samuel L. Jackson. With both eyes. Exactly. Yeah. And I hear he's a, he's just going to be like a clerk. He's not going to have been the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point. He's going to be somewhere lower area and a friend of Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. And I hope they, they explain where Carol Danvers has vanished because we've got 10 years of Marvel movies where no one has spoken her name and she hasn't shown up when there were these major, you know, alien invasions happening at the Avengers. Big events. Where has been Captain Marvel been? Mm-hmm. Why has she not helped out? Well, it's and- the same question that Batman asked Wonder Woman. Where in the world have you been? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and, and we do know that Captain Marvel is set in the 90s. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, as long as we don't go back to December 6, 1991. I hope that was the right date. I don't know. <laughs> uh, from Civil War. When the uh, Winter Soldier attacked 
Tony's parents. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, well, that's one of those details you end up forgetting sometimes of exactly when that took place. But that would be interesting if there was, uh, if they did try to connect it somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that we, would we, be we, interesting. Yeah, I, I think I've heard that Peggy Carter's going to be in this. We Yay! know that she was around in the 90s. Um, yeah. You know, from Ant Man. But... Yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah, maybe we could so get Hank in there a little bit. There's a possibility. Yeah. So there's, you know, there, there's that whole period of, uh, you know, Marvel history, of Marvel cinematic history that we haven't yet heard just yet. And so we're, oh, yes. we're still waiting to find out, you know, what was going on and what was happening before Tony Stark decided to, to put on that suit. Oh, wow. This, yeah. Oh, wow. This, there's a lot of stuff that could be snuck in there that would be really great. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping what they, what they set up is that somehow or another she's off planet, uh, doing something. Maybe because maybe the, with the Cree, you know. Yeah. Very possible. Very possible. That would have uh, a good excuse for her not being involved in the last 10 years. Yep. And, you know, and plus that would certainly explain why that's not a regular looking pager that Nick Fury pulled out uh, of his bag (laughs) at the end of Avengers. So he can send a signal all the way out to space and say, Thanos is here! Help! Mm-hmm. So, but uh, we really, we're, this is going to be a long show, folks, but uh, we've got to get into our conversation with W.R. Miller, the writer of the Star Wars historical source book for part two of a really fun conversation. To Disney and beyond! Yeah, I, just, I, I think that's part of why we have such a great resurgence into uh, superhero films these days is it, they are feel good. It's nice to see the hero succeed, uh, you know, and even, you know, Superman. I think Superman owes a lot. I mean, the 78 Superman owes a lot to Star Wars, reminding people that science fiction and fantasy can be fun because that that first Superman movie that's one of the ones I grew up with as well. And it's fun and a little bit of goofiness. Uh, but yeah, when you look back at some like science fiction, when you know, like Ray Bradbury, I mean, there's there's definitely a place for like a darker area of science fiction, but it's not always a fun read. I mean, I Robot, when you read the book, it's at, at times downright frightening. Yeah. Of what could be. So to have this view of space where it's exciting and adventurous, and and the the heroes win, and there's a clear cut line of good and evil. Uh, that's I mean, that's something I think the world always needs. Well, they almost did it with Star Trek because they were actually making a Star Trek movie uh, just before uh, Star Wars was released. In fact, Ralph McQuarrie was doing some designs on a uh, an updated Enterprise, hmm. and uh, it was going to be directed by Phil Kaufman. And you know who that is? Actually, I don't. He later di- he directed uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the remake. Ah, okay. I don't that think was, I saw that one. But uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg at uh, Paramount, who's at Paramount at the time, one month before the release of Star Wars, killed uh, the Star Trek movie. It had a subtitle called Planet of the Titans. Mm. And um, see, they had, in the in the early 70s, they had plans that went back and forth about trying to bring Star Trek back, either as a series or as a movie, and they just... The delay was they just couldn't set, settle upon a story uh, mm. to bring it back. And so all this back and forth between the creative end and the executives at Paramount just, you know, I think one, in one respect they raise an audience expectation for an exciting space adventure. So when that came out in the form of Star Wars, um, that's where the 
the science fiction fans glommed onto and the word spread from there. Yeah, and then everybody's tried to copy it and you had like your Battlestar Galactica and actually just recently uh, heard about a movie, what was it, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. There's actually a podcast called Techno Retro Dads that covered that film, which was also somebody trying to capitalize on Star Wars to f- try to figure out what it was about Star Wars that was so compelling to everybody that brought us into the theaters, you know, because there's money in it, of course. And I think that's probably why the you know it's nice that Star Trek was able to come back and I think I've heard that the first Star Trek motion picture was originally made for television and they thought you know what maybe we can put this in theaters but I don't think they really got some of the idea until like the Wrath of Khan because the Wrath of Khan gave us a villain to hiss at and heroes to cheer for and a situation that we didn't know how they would ever get out of but you know Captain Kirk gets out of every situation you know <laughs> yeah I yeah you're absolutely right um no, Roddenberry, you could you could tell from the first Star Trek film that he wanted a more of a 2001 A Space Odyssey uh, mm-hmm. feel to it. And that's why some of those scenes were so slow. Going through V'ger took forever to go across V'ger. Or it took forever <laughs> oh, yeah. to go around the Enterprise, you know. And so he wanted the visual effects to carry it through. And uh, it turned out, apparently, that fans were bored by all that yeah it's nice to see the enterprise but let's get on with the story yeah right so yeah, that's why we it, kind of ignore that that movie exists <laughs> <laughs> but roddenberry uh the year star wars came out uh and again i've got this cataloged in my book he looked at the long lines of, of people wanting to go see star wars and he says you know that could have been us you know he mm-hmm. You know, and even William Shatner, I've got him cataloged, you know, documented too, where I have his reactions, I've got uh, George Takei's reactions. You know, they were kind of jealous, you know, to see Star Wars strike uh, first. You know, and they said, yeah, you know, it's it's a fun adventure, but, you know, Star Trek is smarter, we're more intelligent, you know. So they're a little bit um, jealous at the achievement that Star Wars uh, had. Yeah, and I don't think they should be jealous because I think Star Trek has accomplishments on its own. And I, I've never bought into the idea that you have to like one or the other. I love them both because they're both different enough to where there's something in an appeal in both. I mean, Star Wars, you have your adventure. Star Trek has adventures too. And yeah, they're sometimes a bit more heady. You can learn stuff from Star Trek. <laughs> you know, Star Wars, you're just going to have a good time. And so there's things to appreciate for both. And I think there's room for us all to get along and love it all together and wonder what would happen if we ever got a real crossover. <laughs> well, I, I think you're right about that. And, you know, to give Paramount credit, they, you know, even after Star Trek, the motion picture didn't do as well as they expected, they did make more Star Treks. They did see mm-hmm. there was enough of an interest to make that kind of adventure we wanted to see in The Wrath of Khan. Oh, Yeah. And beyond, and then they went to Star Trek The Next Generation, and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, The Next Generation, I think, struck that almost perfect balance of having that adventure and that mystery uh, and that, that exploring these weird unknown things, and yet they were able to take it to this level of... You, you could the almost uh, political intrigue is now they were having to work with other races and other species and other planets. So, I mean, the original Star Trek is mainly a lot of exploration and these weird things of learning and discovering, and it's exciting in that way. The Next Generation, you had those episodes where we were discovering new things, but you were also had this more established, well, we, we've met all these different races. Now we're trying to figure out how to get along and help each other and... And it was almost that perfect blend. So Star Trek was always going to have a good spot, I think, out in the fandom for just 
being different and unique for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Let's yep. see if Eric has anything he wants to throw in here. <laughs> uh, no, I think I've got everything. Um, you know, honestly, you know, this this is going to be such a great resource, and I'm looking forward to the future volumes as well. Um, oh, yeah. You know, what, one of the very first things I did when I learned about uh, Star Wars, you know, episode uh, one was on the horizon. The first thing I did is I went to my college's computer lab, uh, found an article and printed it out so that I could look over it, review it, peruse it, and just glean whatever information I could out of that. Uh, so having a, a resource where you can go to and find these stories and find the the details and the information, you know, this this is really going to be a wonderful addition to you know the bibliography and the lexicon that's out there for Star Wars. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to having an opportunity to read this. Oh, I'd appreciate that very much. Uh, in fact. You'll find some details in there where George Lucas himself said that uh, Luke and Leah were not the same age. There was a two-year difference between the two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oops. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I say, it's all documented. Um, you know, he um, he's admitted that in 1976, but then, um, you know, he didn't have, you know, the, story, the, the saga straight at the time. At the time, he only had the one movie that he was going to do. And after Star Wars, he was going to do Radio Land Murders. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> and then surprise, surprise, you got more Star Wars to make. <laughs> yeah, so he he was basically making it up as he went along. You know, Mark Hamill himself said, well, maybe he should have saved the Death Star for Return of the Jedi or Star Wars 3. Because, you know, where do you go from, you know, blowing up the Death Star? You know, you got to find some... <laughs> menace that's you know threatening enough and so you, know, you see in later movies that you know the the weapons of mass destruction were used over and over again you know you just basically, a little bit bigger each time just a little bit <laughs> mm-hmm. bigger and you know in the force awakens you have a solar system killer now yeah which was that was a scary idea i was i, I wonder you know like how in the world because basically star killer base was a planet how in the world do you aim that you know, the things you have to wonder about, like, how how does this work? But yet when you watch a movie, you just kind of go with it because it's it's that level of fantasy that exists within Star Wars where it's it's got a science fiction environment, but you have the fantastic things going on and you have wizards and knights, you know, that are pretty much the same people and and cowboys and pirates and it's any like little fanboy thing you had as a kid is suddenly thrown into this galaxy far far away and it's like anything you could possibly want is there yeah pretty much pretty much that's (laughs) that's just the genius of george lucas's creation Yep, he just it must have been everything he just loved as a child. He just put it together (laughs) oh yeah that's what exactly that's exactly what happened yeah um, and you can't go wrong because I think that's actually you know, Dis- Walt Disney himself pretty much drew upon everything he loved as a child and brought it out in ways and made sure everybody remembered why they love fairy tales and and some of those stories. I mean that's th- those are the type of people I think are probably the most creative that can find bring their childhood together and then release it in a way that even the adults are having fun and remembering their childhood. So it's kind of what we try to do here. I don't know how well I do it, but <laughs> oh, hey. You know, it works. Yeah. 
But you definitely reminded me of, uh, I used to like to collect magazines for movies that were coming out, and I still have grabbed a few somewhere around here. I've got one for even when Thor was coming out. I found a magazine that detailed some of the behind the scenes, and somewhere I think I've still got a magazine that had like a Die Hard with a Vengeance was coming out, and I think a Batman movie was coming out that summer, and I found a magazine that documented all this stuff on those movies. Uh, you know, I've got quite a collection somewhere. I need to dig around. But, yeah, it's always really fun. That's part of the fandom is when you know something is coming, you know, now you just go on the Internet and look and stuff. But back when you had magazines or, or anything that popped up in a newspaper where you would track that down and look for it and so you could just absorb and get as much of it as you could before the film came out. Oh, that was fun. I assume you uh, collected Starlog and Comic Scene, right? Well, if I'd have had money, I would have. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was, was a kid at the time, so the the magazines I really got as I loved it when my uh, my parents had got me a subscription to Muppet Magazine when I was a kid. Sure. There was a He Man and the Masters of the Universe magazine, and when I was a kid, and I just loved those. And I wish I still had those, but they don't always last when you're a little kid. Sometimes you don't store them very well. Yeah, I hear you. I know what you mean. Although, you know, when I started collecting the the uh, th- the magazines for my collection, I knew that they were going to be worth something someday. So. I actually got the Bantha Tracks newsletter mailed flat to me. Wow. Wow. You know, and I would use uh, Bud Plant to get uh, media scene mailed to me, the ones that I, the copies that I ordered. And he uh, packaged them really well between uh, two thick pieces of cardboard. So um, a lot of what I've collected is uh, in um, pristine shape. Uh, see, I wish I'd had that much sense when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... You know, now it's all digitized, and you can uh, access it that way. Mm-hmm. And that's another yeah. thing about my research is a lot of the newspapers that I catalog um, are available in digital form. You know, the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, um, London Times, um, they're all available digitally. So you can actually access those articles yourself, either through a regular uh, online subscription or even in your local library. Oh, fact, so uh, it's not just a book, it's a mission now to read everything you mention. <laughs> you know, in fact, I, I did notice here that some of your research was at the Kansas City Public Library right there in Jeremy's Neck of the Woods. Well, hey. Well, um, you know, I actually don't remember going to Kansas City, but uh, I do know I, I went to various, um, you know, I went to the Dallas Public Library. Um you know, that's probably that and Fayetteville, Arkansas Public Library. Those are the closest to Kansas that I remember going to. Um, but uh, they all have, many of them have their own vertical clipping files. And so I was able to get um, articles from that particular area that was stored by the library. Ah. Now, if I did get something from Kansas, it would be because... I knew of, um, I connected with their library, the local library, and corresponded with them to get the articles that I needed that I knew were published in the local papers. That's probably it. Um, I, um, you know, the uh, Kansas City Times, um, mm-hmm. you know, I knew it was, you know, there was a reference to it from another article, so I would, you know, ask the reference department to see if they can get me a copy, and sometimes. You have to pay for the service. Sometimes it's up to the generosity of the librarian to, you know, email me the um, 
a scanned copy and then I would catalog it from there. So you'll notice there on in the acknowledgments page, uh, libraries from all the United States and all over the you know Western world uh, of librarians who have helped me uh, with my research. And you can see there's quite a few of them there. Oh, yeah. I, I give credit to everybody that um, I can think of. Um, the picture you see there of Jim Corcus, he was oh, the yeah. one that, he was, you know who that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'd like to talk to him someday, too. He's a walking encyclopedia. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm indebted to him for conducting me with uh, Pulp Hero Press, um, you know, for getting uh, th- this series of books published. Uh, Jim and I have been friends for a long time, and uh, so um, just a wonderful, wonderful man. Well, feel free to pass on our names to Jim Corcus because I'd love to talk to him. <laughs> okay, sure. Because <laughs> uh, especially the book, he, I, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but he's uh, put out a book where he was dispelling some of the myths about Walt Disney and some of the silly things people come up with. And I'm like, oh, I would love that book. Oh, he's <laughs> written numerous books on uh, on Walt. Um, in fact, uh, that's the parent. The publisher is the parent company, which is Theme Park Press. So they're the ones that publish Jim's books. You know, you can find them easily on uh, Amazon. Oh, yeah. All right. And so where's the best place for, of course, everyone to find your book? It's also, also on Amazon. Uh-huh. That's pretty much it. Amazon.com. And also, I found your website, wrmilleronline.com. Yes. Uh, you've got a lot of stuff on here. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, and I bit. love these pictures of Starlog magazine. You've got an Ann Jones picture that's on here as a Starlog, and well, uh, articles, videos, all kinds of stuff. Well, I used to write for Starlog while it existed. In fact, I wrote probably the last covers, two cover stories, well, one cover story of uh, Starlog that was actually physically published, and that was oh, wow. uh, Monsters versus Aliens. But you can see there in that picture you're showing. Yes, I did. Uh, uh, cover uh, Clone Wars, Star Wars, uh, Clone Wars, the original, uh, or I shouldn't say original, uh, the Dave Filoni version, because I did interview Dave Filoni for that issue of Starlog, and it made it to the cover. And I also wrote the animation com- column for the uh, both comic scene and Starlog. So, you know, basically when I interview these people, you know, you're what it's helpful because... One connection leads to another and another and another, and so you, you know, you you um, you make more connections and you network, and yeah. that's very helpful to one's career. Oh yeah, because yeah, you've written all over the place. So. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I've been involved as a writer and as an animator. Oh my goodness, you've had a very awesome career. Well, thanks. I hope to continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've got, so there's there's two more volumes of the Star Wars Historical Source book on the way. No, well, more than that. Two more. More th- than that. Well, yeah. Volume two will cover January to June of 1977. Wow. Oh, wow. Volume three will be July through September 77, because that's the time when you have all these reviews pouring out uh, praising Star Wars. Um, you know, people, um, ex, you know, ex, you know, I mean, the news snowballed on the movie. I mean, because what they would do, unlike any other movie, they would go out to the theater 
and they would take pictures of the of the huge crowds that were lining up to see the film as it entered their town. And this happened all summer. And so that that plus the reviews, plus the footprint signing at the uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater, oh, or yeah. it was Man's Chinese Theater at the time, um, you know, or the stock market going nuts over uh, stock in 20th Century Fox, that made news. And so um, all this publicity... Um, helped carry the movie through. Wow, my goodness. Stuff I hadn't even really thought of. So how many volumes do you think you're going to wind up with? Well, probably about 10, I'd say, as as an estimate. You're writing the encyclopedia of Star Wars historical source books. Well, pretty much, yeah. (laughs) But but the the three-volume set you're referring to earlier, that's called The Animated Voice. Okay, so that's going to be in three volumes. Possibly beyond that, but uh, I've interviewed Mark Evanier and Pete Doctor. Uh, oh wow! Brad Bird. Um, a lot of these interviews come from Starlog, you know, and so I've, I'm I'm compiling those. Um, you know, Paul Dini, uh, the writer. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be having him in a Batman themed book. Um, Bruce Tim, and of course, yesterday I talked to Andrea Romano. So. I'll be featuring her in, in the animated voice book as well, one of the future volumes. And you've already released some sort of a trivia book as well, haven't you? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's um, it's called um, May the Facts Be With You. <laughs> and it, it, it makes fun of uh, quiz books. It covers the first three Star Wars films, the two Ewoks films, the Ewoks and Droids cartoon series and all the documentaries about the original trilogy. And it tests your knowledge on them, but you know, it has these phony answers, which I, I see on your display there. You can see the kind of phony answers that I've got there. So it should be a breeze for you guys to go through. Yeah. I was having a good laugh reading these and I'll, I'll read everybody a sample. Uh, it says R2D2 is, and you have a multiple choice answer, a thermocapsulary dehousing assister, a mobile garbage disposal unit, an overweight glob of grease, an obligatory cute robot, or a nearsighted scrap pile. <laughs> <laughs> so they're really fun questions. So if there's an entire book, if that's what this book is, I have to get it. <laughs> Great. I'm, 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 I, I would be grateful if you do. It's it's a lot of fun, but um, a lot of the questions are on the Ewoks cartoon, and s- because they had two seasons, so um, you kind of have to refresh your memory on the Ewoks cartoon to even get yeah. those answers. Well, you know, if I don't know it, I can learn it from the uh, from reading the book. So. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I really loved the Ewok series. I actually liked it a lot more than the Droid series. And I, I remember when I was a kid, I had a little book uh, that was of the Ewoks cartoon and had a little story in it, which I, I can barely remember. I wish I still had that book. Yeah. So I, I really loved the Ewok cartoon. And all the people who have come, come out now, then they decide that they just hate Ewoks. I don't understand them. Ewoks were awesome. They're still awesome. Well, the thing is, the main the, the story editor, do you know who the story editor of that is? Of the cartoon? Yes. Actually, I don't. Paul Dini. Oh, really? Do you know who Paul Dini is? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, Paul Dini worked on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Batman the Animated Series, of course, uh, and I think a few others that I can't remember, but those are the two big ones that I remember him for. Yeah, well, a lot of the best cartoons were written by him. In fact, I connected with him uh, for my first major article for Starlog. Um, 
you know, so I, I did a phone interview with him when he was in the San Francisco area, you know, writing the Ewoks and Droids series. And then shortly after that, he went on to story edit uh, the new Beanie and Cecil series for uh, John Chris Velucci. And I met him for the first time there. And I actually wrote an article for that particular show. So, again, it's it's who you know in the business. You make connections, you network, and uh, you progress. You know, and then later on, I would interview Paul for um, Batman the Animated Series in uh, Starlog uh, Magazine. <laughs> so, and so it all comes back together. <laughs> yep, one thing leads to another. Paul's a brilliant writer, and um, mm-hmm. I'll be featuring his interviews in uh, my upcoming Batman book. Which, yeah, I have to get that one, too, because it's Batman. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> now, if you're writing up something on Spider-Man, then that'll be, like, my new favorite. Uh... <laughs> um, well, I, I, that's very kind of you to say. Um, what can I, I say? I'm a Spider-Man junkie, so... <laughs> well, he's a very, very, very strong character, as everybody mm-hmm. knows. So, yeah, he's very much worth writing about. Oh, yes, indeed. Okay, well, I figure we should probably wrap this up. I'm going to remind everybody to go to wrmilleronline.com because I was looking on Amazon. I couldn't find the May the Facts Be With You book under W.R. Miller. Yeah, look under Bob under, Miller for that one. Yes, oh. under Bob Miller. And I did find it on your website, and I'm sure from your website people can find links right here. Yes, I even see it's available on Amazon here. Uh, that one uh, came out, I guess, just this past January. It's available for $14.95 on paperback. New copy. Uh, I'm definitely looking into this one today because I love some good trivia. I actually once uh, with my college radio show, I played some Star Wars trivia in a live event. And you'd, you'd be surprised how many people will flock to Star Wars trivia and play along. It's, it's just so much fun. All these little kind of facts. And it's fun to find out all the little things maybe you didn't realize. Uh, like, you know, finding Kira Knightley in The Phantom Menace. You know, stuff all those little details are just fun. So I'm excited to check out what you've got in here. I appreciate that. You'll find that in both books. Awesome. Excellent. All kinds of fascinating stuff. Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming and telling us about these books. And make sure you you come back when this animation book comes out, because I'd kind of like to talk about that one, too. <laughs> okay, Jeremy and, uh, and Eric, thank you very much for uh, having me on your show. Oh, thank you. You're, of course, very welcome. And a big thanks to you. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash Neverland Podcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions 
And a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless. Yeah! Hello, everybody. This is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast. We love you. Neverland Podcast. We love you. Neverland Podcast. It's true. Neverland Podcast. We love you.